<clears throat> I spoke with Brother Brown just a few weeks ago, and they are going to be officially retiring from the field in uh, December of this year, and we'll continue to support them through the end of this year. But we thank God for their work and just their faithfulness to serve the Lord for those years and the fruit of that labor as well. And um, the concept of having 400 people in a European country gathering for church is an incredible concept. Um, and God has just blessed that work, so we thank God for it. It's been a good morning already, hasn't it? And um, I'm looking around, it's so good to see so many of our college students home uh, on fall break. And uh, so we'll put them all on the spot and say hi to them all. I would say, there you go, we're even over here. It's good to have them home visiting with us. And I, I, I owe you guys all an apology. You were all leaving on the same Sunday, and we didn't say an official goodbye to you. And so goodbye and hi, all right? <laughs> So now you're no longer offended, and uh, very good. No, we thank God for these young people and the work that God's doing in their life. It's good to see so many of them back here with us this weekend. And let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter number uh, 3. And I want to continue our discussion on the idea of putting off, or putting to death, rather, these things that are in us that are earthly. And I think we need to do some maybe a little more leaning into how we go about doing that, and then there's some back instruction on this. So I'd like to read this together and then pray, and then we'll get into our message this morning. But in Colossians chapter number 3, and we're going to read verse 9, 10, and 11 to get us started today. If you're there with me, follow along as I read aloud. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Or thank you for the picture we got to observe this morning of our sister Anna being placed into Christ and being resurrected with Christ. And Father, may we hold tight to these reminders of what you've done to us and in us and now you're doing through us. And uh, Lord, we ask you, Father, as we open your word this morning, that Father, what is said would not be the opinion of men, but Father, would be the word of God uh, proclaimed to the people of God, that Lord, we could be more equipped to do the work of God. And Lord, we thank you for your love for us, and thank you for guiding us to this hour and this place. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen. I want you to notice in verse number 10 of our text this morning, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. Uh, the word here, renewed, is a little different than what we would see in uh, other texts of Scripture. Uh, we would see it in Romans chapter number 12. He's saying, be renovated. It's having to tear down the old way of thinking and lift up the new way of thinking. But this has the idea of being made uh, cause to grow up. It's the idea of it's something being done in you, being renewed daily to renew our thinking, to refresh our thinking over and over again. And he said, I want you reviewed and renewed in knowledge. Now, we'll unpack that a little bit later on. But the idea here is that we need sometimes catalysts to cause us to kind of wake up and go, oh, I, I need to be renewed. 
oh, I need to put my mind back on the right thing. Um, how many of you have ever been driving to work and forgot you were driving to work? And you just kind of pull into the parking lot and you're kind of like, oh, I don't remember going through that red light. I don't remember going through that stop sign. Anybody been there? You're just unaware. And you've gone through the motions of driving through that process. This morning I was leaving the house and, and uh, I'm, I'm pulling out of the driveway and it's, it's a, I got up a little later than I wanted to and, and uh, I'm leaving the house. It's about 7.15 or so and as I'm rolling out of the driveway, I've got my phone in my hand and my phone's in my hand. I'm backing out of the driveway and I'm trying to set up a podcast on my phone because I don't want to waste the 15 minutes to church without listening to something. And so I'm trying to put that on my phone and then I roll out into the street and I realize... I didn't pay attention to anything, and there's still fog on my windshield. I can't even see where I'm going. And I'm just kind of going through the motion. I realize, I, whoa, you got to pay attention to what you're doing, man. You can't just be flippant about this. And there was a moment where I was kind of caught flat-footed. You need to renew your thinking about the way you're handling yourself. And uh, this renewal is something that happens, you know, maybe you get a bad doctor's report. And you get the word that the cholesterol is high, and it renews the way you look at food. It renews the way you look at your exercise regime. It challenges where you're at. Um, and there's many times that that's the case, right? Um, we were on vacation or spring break in Florida. We had gone down to see my mom and dad, drove down to Panama City. The forecast says it's raining for the next two days. And so we said, you know what, let's just get in the car and drive south until we find some sunshine on the forecast. And we didn't really have a destination in place. We just drove. And if you've ever been on the back roads in Florida, they are straight forever long, and there's nothing on them. Nothing. And the speed limit is like 55 miles an hour. That is boring. I'm just telling you right now. That's boring. And I, I don't mean to confess sins, but just so you know, I've made this right already. But I was... Looking at that, I'm thinking, we're never going to get there, so I think I can stand to go 65. And then I'm looking, and I can see 12 miles in front of me. There's nobody on this road. I'm like, yeah, maybe a little faster, and a little faster. And I, I promise you, I didn't see anybody, and then all of a sudden, there was lights behind me. Don't act so high and mighty. That's not fair at all. <laughs> don't, don't even go there. You're like, oh, yeah, all right. He comes up behind me, you know, and, and, and you know what I was? I was renewed in my awareness of keeping the speed limit. And for many days after, I was renewed in my awareness of it. You know, and, and that's the reality. Uh, TJ and I, a few weeks ago, we went backpacking down the Manistee River Trail, just beautiful country. And uh, I'm kind of new to backpacking, but I enjoy it thoroughly and just really got into it. Well, I know better than to go backpacking at night. You're supposed to go in the daytime. You don't walk into the woods in the middle of the night. But we get there, and it's, it's dark already, and we're kind of like, hey, we just want to get some distance, and we'll get a mile or two in. We'll set up camp. It's all going to be good. You know, we'll make a lot of noise. Nobody's going to bother us. Nothing out there is going to bother us. But I'm going to tell you something. In the dark, in the woods, every wood is creepy, all right? They're all creepy. And uh, we're walking down this trail, and, you know, kind of heads on the swivel. We got our headlamps on, and we're walking through the woods. And we get a, probably a mile and a half, two miles in, and I, I do a span over this direction. And when I looked across the distance, probably about 40 yards, 50 yards away, something taller than me stood up and looked at me. And I, my, I saw his eyes 
uh, with delight. And I'm convinced it was a bear. Um, it was big. TJ saw it as well, so he can tell you his account afterwards. I, I was very brave. It didn't bother me in the least. He was really nervous about it. No, I'm teasing. Uh, but actually, actually, in the story, in the, in the real account of it, I turned around and started going the other way. I said, come on. And he goes, no, Dad, don't turn your back to it. And I'm like, oh, that's right. No, don't turn your back to it, you know. And so he's giving me instruction on how to confront a bear in the wilderness. And um, so we back out of that, and we went back to a place we felt like was a little safer and spent the night in a restless sleep. But I was renewed in my understanding that you don't hike at night. You, you should do that. And there's a renewal that has to happen. Now, the goal of the Christian life is to find a way to renew our minds without having it to be cataclysmic when it's time to renew our mind. Now, I, I would say to you that if your marriage is on the rocks, that's the time to renew your mind. If you're, if you're finding yourself in besetting sin over and over again, absolutely, mark that. Let's renew our mind. Let's get ourselves back on. But there ought to be a daily renewal of our thinking. To where we're not doing this plummeting and then reviving and plummeting and reviving and plummeting and reviving. But we're learning to ride the reality of we failed but we're coming back and we failed but we're coming back. And we're learning to grow in this grace of renewing our thinking and being renewed in knowledge. You know, it is not wrong for us to say, as we looked last week, that sin is wrong. Okay? We're supposed to call sin, sin. It is not legalistic to call out sin in our life. It's not legalistic to call out sin. This present battle is what we're fighting. We're fighting a battle against the works of this flesh. We're fighting a battle against the works of our own heart that wants to do the wrong thing. It's not a past battle. You can't fight the battle yesterday and you can't fight the battle tomorrow. It's a present battle that we're fighting right now. And victory is only in the present. It's not in the future. It's right now that we have victory. And our hope is in the future. And one day it will all be realized. But right now, daily, we are fighting this battle. You know, it may be easy at times to kind of poke holes at a black and white position that a former generation held uh, because maybe they took their principle a little too far. But let's not throw out the reasoning behind the principle just because they took it too far. You need to sometimes stop and understand why a fence was built before you tear it down. And I, I think back in a generation, I used the illustration a little while ago. I grew up and you just don't go to the movies because the movies are bad. And some of you may have grown up in that same culture where you just don't do that. And we just didn't ever go to the movies. And the reality of the fact is I don't think there's anything sinful about going to the movies. The issue is not where you watch something. The issue is what you watch. You see, there is a principle behind that, that action that they had that was a right principle of saying we need to guard our hearts and minds about what we put in front of our eyes. And by the way, Christians, we could do a revival with that in our own hearts of guarding what we set in front of us and guarding what we're walking into. And so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because someone takes the reasoning too far. So we put off the old self in verse number 9. Look what he says again. He says, put off. This is second person, plural, imperative. You put off. You do this. You do it now. And uh, the idea here is, um, is being renewed. And I told you wrong. This is an Ariston, so it's now. It's something we do in the present, and we do it again in the present, and we do it in the present. It's being renewed. It's causing to grow up is what he says. So I want you to put off the old self with its practices, put on new practices, new patterns of 
living that would line up with the knowledge that you know to be true about God. Put on the new self. Being renewed is the idea here, or cause to grow up. This is something that is done in you. He says, put on the new self, and as you put on the new self, you will be renewed in knowledge. This is what's going to happen to you, according to the image or the pattern of the one who created us. And the one who brought this into existence, that we're walking in this relationship. John 3, uh, 3 1 through 3 says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will one day be conformed to the image of our Savior. We as Christians are becoming, as I said last week, what we are. We are not trying to be what we should be. We're becoming what we've already been made in Christ. We are working from victory, not for victory. We're working from acceptance, not for acceptance. And it should be the reasons that we put off the old man and put on the new man is because we have a passionate pursuit of Christ that persuades us to do this. And this idea of being renewed in knowledge, this knowledge that is here, there's two words for knowledge that are used, and the, the, um, the first word is gnosis, and it's the idea of head knowledge. It's having facts that we put in our mind. And this is often what they were leaning into in the church of Colossians, is fill yourself with knowledge, and that'll take you to a place of enlightenment. But what we see here is epigenosis. It's the idea of a relational knowledge. It's an experience that I know the person I'm talking with. And let me say this morning, you can know a lot about God, but do you know him? Is there a relationship and there a passionate relationship with you and the Lord Jesus Christ that drives you to put off and to put on? And this is what we're being called to do. But I think we have to hold these things rightly in our mind. The idea of hold here is the idea of renewed, being constantly renewed, constantly going back and setting our minds right. Constantly going back and saying, no, that's not the right way to think. This is the right way to think. No, that's not the right way to think. This is the right way to think. And we have to constantly do that. You understand, this world is constantly going at you about your way of thinking. There is a continual barrage on our thought process of how we look at sin and how we view it. And it is interesting to me, you can do a study of this on your own, but the way way these things get mainstreamed is we laugh at them first. And then they become mainstreamed after a while. And we laugh at sin for a while, we make jokes about sin for a while, and before long it becomes so normal that we're not laughing about it anymore, we're accepting it. And this is a constant barrage. We have to reset our thinking about these things and have our mind constantly restored to the right thinking. So where do we have our minds reset? Here's the three things I want to give you this morning. Number one, we must hold on to a correct view of God. Number two, we must hold on to a correct view of sin and self. And number three, we must hold on to a correct view of others. These three things, I believe, set us in the position to live a life that is putting to death sin. And without these things in their proper place, we're going to find it hard to do the work of putting to death sin in our lives. And so let's look at them one at a time here. First off, a correct view of God. Look, if you would, at Colossians 3, 6. Here's what he says. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. How many believe this morning that God is a God of wrath? He is. How many believe this morning that God is a holy God that cannot countenance sin? That is who God is, by the way. But that is not all God is. 
Now look, if you would, in chapter number 2 of Colossians and verse number 13, we've read this so many times, it's almost, the more I study it, the more I think it's the theme of this, but here's what he said in verse number uh, 13, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Amen. And so what do we see? We see that not only is God a God of wrath and holiness, but God is also a God of mercy and forgiveness. And and we could live, and by the way, if you live over here and your view of God is only a God of wrath, you're going to live a life of condemnation and frustration because you will never measure up. You will always live under this heavy burden of, man, I can't believe I did that. Man, I can't believe I failed. Man, I'm never going to measure up. And it will be an exhausting and a frustrating life if you only view God as a God of wrath. Or what you'll do is you'll create a list of secondary rules that you're good at keeping, and you'll use those rules to look down your nose at everybody else. And that's the only two options in this realm. When God is only a God of anger and wrath, you're missing the other side of it. But I think the error and, and humanity, we're so incapable of stopping in the middle. We have to run the gauntlet. We have to swing the pendulum to the other side. And the other side is we want to say, no, 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 God's a God of love. And God accepts you. And, you know, and God saved you because you're so daggum cute. God didn't save you because you're cute. God didn't save you because you were worthy. He didn't save you because you were valuable. He saved you because he's a good God. That's why he saved us. And it's having an understanding that yes, God is love. And yes, God is holy. But it's holding these two things. And yea, bringing those two things into the picture together. And viewing them simultaneously on a daily basis to have the right view of God. And that view is the cross. It's every day coming back to the cross and having the right view of God in the midst of this. A.W. Tozer said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a big statement. What comes to our mind when we think about God? Do we think about God as high and holy and lifted up that he's worthy of our praise? Do we think about God who reached down to us and brought us to himself? How do we view God? You see, the view of God really is a gospel view. When we have this right view of God, it's viewing the, it's seeing the world through the gospel. You see, C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it risen, but because I see everything else by it. That when I look at the world, I see the world in a different way because I see this reality of who God is. And when we see God as holy and God is merciful and we see that combining at the cross and now we view everything in the world by that truth, it changes how we look at the world. It changes how we look at our sin. It changes how we look at other men's sin. It changes everything. It's all shifted here. In our discussions this week on this text, uh, we came up with the, the term, and Brother Chachi, I think, mentioned it in our discussion, but it, God is transcendent and God is imminent. That he is both transcendent, it means above and outside of time and space, that he is a holy God and unapproachable, that we cannot reach out and touch God, and yet God is imminent, he is present. He said that Jesus Christ said, Emmanuel, God with us, and he is both. 
And we hold these things in tension. And I want you to go to 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be there some this morning. We go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look in, uh, if you would, in verse number 6. And let me give you the background of this text before we get into it. Chapter 3 talks about Moses' ministry. Moses had a ministry where he went up on the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments. You remember that? And there on the mountain, what happened to his face? It began to glow, didn't it? And he put a veil over his face when he came down because the glow was so bright. But then chapter 3 tells us that he kept the veil on his face because why? The glory of his face began to fade away. And he didn't want it to be evident that there wasn't a glow there anymore. And so he kept this veil over his face and he hid the fact that Moses desperately wanted to see the transcendent God. And even in Exodus chapter number 33, he, he asked God the question, God, let me see your glory. What a request. What a bold request. God, let me see your glory. And God said to him, you can't handle my glory. I will never be, you'd never be able to see me in all of my glory. And he would say, what was God saying about his glory? God is transcendent. That he is, he is other. That's, that's another word for holy. He's other. He's outside of who we are. And he's so far above we can't comprehend his thoughts. And he said, you can't see my glory, Moses. He said, I tell you what I will do, Moses. I'll put you in a rock. I'll cover you with my hand. And I'll pass by the area you've been in. And then I'll remove my hand. And you can see my receding glory. You can see the after effects of me showing up. But you can't look in me and see me face to face. I would challenge you to read Exodus 33 and look at the word face. He said, you can't see me face to face. You couldn't handle that glory. But then we come to our text here in chapter 4. And we see in verse number 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say let light shine out of darkness? Genesis chapter 1, right? And God said, let there be light. And just as God said, let there be light, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the transcendence of God. Where do we find God's transcendence? We find it in the face of Jesus Christ. And you and I this morning, we see a God who is holy, and He is righteous, and He is good, and He's above all these things. He's so much more than you and I could ever comprehend, and yet we see His glory revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. This is where we see a transcendent God made imminent there with us, and God must be holy, and God must be merciful, and both of those realities of God, though we don't quite comprehend how it could be, we believe that it is about God. We must keep that view in mind. And if this world would come to you and say, no, God is a God of wrath, we'll be condemned in our sin. Or if God tells you, no, or this world would tell us, no, God's just a God of love, don't worry about your sin. Both of those would be a wrong view of God. We must have and hold the right view of God. So as we move now, we say nextly, a right view of self. We're staying in 2 Corinthians for a time here. Look at verse number 7, but we have this treasure. What treasure? This transcendent glory of God that has been placed inside of us through His Holy Spirit that lives in us and takes up residence. We have this treasure in jars of clay 
this is where we live. You know, have you ever wondered, you know, God, why, why don't you just give me a new body and a new nature now? You know, that way I can do this work without having to deal with this old flesh anymore. How many of you think that would be a great idea? Yeah, I mean, hey, be good. And, you know, and think about it. The added benefit, we get a new body, no aches and pains. All that's gone away. But he said, you know what I've done? I've taken this transcendent glory of the gospel and I've placed it inside of jar of clay. Why? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Here's what it says in the ESV. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That it's not us that does the work. It is not our power that accomplishes it. It is His power and His glory that is on display. You understand this morning that it is the pains of our body right now that remind us this world's not home. This world's not home. Every time you have an ache and a pain, every time something hurts or you lose a loved one, you know what you're reminded of? This world's not home. This is not my final destination. But not only are the pains of life reminders this world is not a home, but I would submit to you this morning that the pleasures of life are a reminder this world's not home. He said, what do you mean? Well, I'll give you an illustration. How, how many of you know uh, my Georgia dogs are doing really good in football this year, right? Yeah. TJ and I were talking yesterday. We were riding, uh, we were riding back together from getting some work done on, his, on the car, and we were riding back uh, in the car together, and he said something about them doing well. And we were anticipating the game against Kentucky yesterday, and we were talking about it. He goes, well, you know, just a few months. If they win, what then? So we win the national championship. Then what? It's over with. And I'm like, yeah, and we'll just look back and remember that was a good day that they won the championship, and then we'll start cheering for them next year, right? And I said, because, and then we got to talking about it. I said, you know, because I think what God teaches us in the heights of our pleasure, and you think about the moments in life where God-honoring, God-gifted pleasure is given to us, even at the heights of those moments, there is something that leaves us still a little bit hungry. We're still not completely satisfied. And I think we come to the height of those joyous moments and we remember this world's not our home. There is nothing on this side of eternity that can satisfy the cravings of my heart or satisfy the wounds of my soul because I wasn't made for this world. I was made for a world that wasn't broken and I've been born again and I'm longing for a world that's coming where all the pains and all the sorrow and all the pleasures that we that we feel in part will be realized in full there. This is what we're looking forward to. This is the hope that we carry in us. But right now, in this present moment, we are locked into a battle of struggle. And it's a daily dying to self, putting off and putting on and saying no to our flesh. Why? That the surpassing power will be evidently belonging to God. Let me just say, Christians... God has ordained it that we would show the world that He is sufficient in our broken bodies. That in our brokenness and in our weakness, we will look at a world around us and say, Yes, I desire wrong things. Yes, I fail. Yes, I am broken. Yes, I get sick. But I have a Savior who's going to make all that new one day, and He can make you new. This is where sin and suffering come in to our understanding. And let me just say this morning, if you are struggling with besetting sin, it's worth the fight. 
Stay in the fight. Don't give up on the fight. Pick up the, pick up the sword today and go to battle against your sin and put to death the thing that is struggling in you because God wants to be glorified in that jar of clay. He wants the glory in the midst of it. This journey is unique that we are on because the destination is sure. One day we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. The victory is ours, but the daily battles remain to be fought. And so it is a constant struggle, isn't it? We feel that. The Apostle Paul felt it. Look at verse number 8 of chapter 4. We are afflicted in every way. But not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And it's almost as if he's writing here, and, and the wording is so poetic, and we, we don't have time to unpack this entire text. But he's literally he's, he's saying, in effect, in a poetic form, we're afflicted, but we're not afflicted. We're, in dis- we're perplexed, but we're not perplexed. We're persecuted, but we're not persecuted. Uh, we're struck, but we're not, we're not struck down. We've been knocked down, but we're not down for the count. And here's the reality of the Christian walk, is that you're going to be knocked down. You're going to find something from the outside that knocks you down, and the enemy will attack. You're going to find that your own heart betrays you, and you're going to fail. And when you do, you need to say with Paul that, yes, I'm knocked down, but I'm knocked out. Look, it says in verse number 16 and 18. Look what he says in the same chapter. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not on things that are seen but on the things that are unseen. For the things which are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing that he said in Colossians last week or two weeks ago. Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things which are above because this world is not our home. This world is not where we find our satisfaction. And so we continue This battle, constantly coming to grips with the weakness and the frailty of these clay pots and then holding the reality of the glory of the treasure that has been given to us in these clay pots. You see, there has to be a developed resilience with our failures without having a flippancy toward our sin. That when I fail... My Savior has not forsaken me. He's not just a God of wrath, but He is also a God of mercy. And I come to the same place that I came as a nine-year-old boy. I go to the cross again and again. And having the right view of my sin, I think there ought to be a pattern in the life of a believer of confessing and forsaking, always lifting our eyes up each day to see that my sin affects our Savior more than it affects this world here. It's a wound against the God who saved me. So we confess our sins, and then finally we see a correct view of others. This wrestling that we're going in, this struggling that we have with ourselves, then we turn around, and if we're not careful, we put it out on somebody else as well. We must understand that men are sinners before God and in need of a Savior. This is the primary reality of our brothers around us. And when I say brothers, I mean humanity. 
I'm not talking about necessarily just the believers inside the room this morning. But every person you meet this week, regardless of how belligerent to the gospel or how open to the gospel, they are a sinner in need of a Savior. That is who they are. We must view them that way. Let me say this morning, we are not in competition. It is not my desire to defeat my brother. And and he's some kind of competitor to put down. But rather he is a mission field or an ally. Every person you meet this week is either somebody that needs the gospel or somebody who's helping you get the gospel to somebody else. And And the fact is, they may be both. Because every believer here needs the gospel preached to them. And every believer here is helping us take the gospel to somebody else. We need community of believers around us more than we understand. You see, and this is why he's, he warned us against sin already. He's gone through these sins and sometimes we look at them and like, well, what, what, why is God such, you know, why is he so fussy about these things? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, here it comes down to it is that we have offended a holy God but if you look at the list of these sins, what are these sins? The first list of sins, the unchastities that we talked about last week. you remember them? They're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty heavy things. I'm looking in Colossians again in chapter number 3. He says, um, put to death, verse number 5, what is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put those to death. That list right there, you know what that describes? That describes me taking other people and using them for myself. It describes me consuming relationships. And then the next list, look at this list in verse number 8. But put away from you anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another. What is this list talking about? It's talking about me pushing people away from me. I don't want them in my world. So either we're pushing people away in our sin or we're consuming people in our sin. And we're using for our own self. And in both of these things, we're missing the right view of others around us. And that's why he warns us away from it. See, the gospel reorients my thinking into being a servant of others, not a master of others. 2 Corinthians 4.12, we were there just a minute ago. Paul said this, we die daily. And he said, and we're dying. Death works in us, but life in you. This is literally what we're supposed to do, that we die daily so that others would live. We are, we are, we are living out the gospel on a daily basis when we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and for our lost neighbors, and we lay down our lives for them. That's why discipleship and ministry is always going to call us to sacrifice. Always read this article or this little note last night. It just challenged me in this battle. But yesterday in 1555, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were burned at the stake alive for preaching justification by faith alone. Latimer said, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light a candle in England that by God's grace shall never be put out. What a testimony of sacrifice. He said, we die that you might live. So, a correct view of others. We must understand that men are sinners before God. We understand that our sin is either pushing people away or it's consuming people upon our own desires. And then he says here in this gospel realm, I'm back in Colossians chapter number 3 now. In verse number 11, I'll read it again. He said, here there is not Greek and Jew 
circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now this is so important. This new realm of living is not somebody's better than. Nobody's better than. Christ is all in all. Everyone is on the same level. All the distinctions that are given to us and the standings that are there. And we're to cast aside all of our standings, all of our distinctions. We're casting out all of our street cred and say the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody comes the same way. Nobody comes to the cross a different way. There's no privileged path to the gospel. It is through Jesus Christ in Him alone. Only in Christ am I complete? Am I forgiven? Is my hope there? Is my identity there? No longer is what I was the thing that gives me standing. Now it is Christ and Christ alone that gives me standing. Now I, I think we can miss this and somehow or another we get to the wrong side of this and I want you to listen to it just for a moment. A little bit of a nuanced argument. This is not an admonition for you to see people as yourself. I think this is where we make the mistake. If we generally view the world as our, like ourself. And, and if you will, I grew up in the South, and you Yankees up here. Right? And the, you, you, you think there's not still animosity over this. You know, there's a little bit of animosity still, all right? I'm good, all right? I'm good. I just want you to know I'm good. But... There, there, there's, this, there's this joke we make about that, but this, this thing that somehow or another, well, you see people on your level. Isn't there a bit of arrogance in that statement? Because now you're assuming your level is the right place to stand. And the way to make people equal is to place them on your level. That's missing the point, I think, don't you? I think what he's saying is he's not telling me, hey, whatever category you find yourself in, make sure you include everybody in your category and make everybody accepted into your category. I think what he's saying to me, let me read it here. This is not an admonition to see others as your equal or on par with you, but rather to lay aside the pride that your sect inherently carries with it. Whatever pride from whatever background you come from, and by the way, everybody has a level of pride. It doesn't matter the social standing that they come from. There's just a sense that the rednecks kind of think they're still better, right? And, and, the, and the elite think they're still better, and the cool kids think they're better, and the band kids think they're better, and the jocks think they're better. And he's saying, lay aside all of that and say, no, 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 it's not about where I came from or what my standing is, but Christ is the only standing I have. Christ is all and in all. This is our standing. This is our hope. Laying aside and stop measuring by these things. So then how do we renew this? How is this done on a daily basis? How are we going to keep our mind right? We renew our mind the same way we renew our bodies. Now, you think about this. God sustains life, correct? He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. But how many of you know that you have to eat something if you're going to live? God has ordained means by which he sustains that life. You know, today you say, well, you know, Pastor, I'm not going to eat or drink water or, you know, have any shelter over me for the next year. And I'm just going to sustain my life by standing outside and singing. You're going to die. You can't sustain life apart 
from the means that God has ordained for you to sustain life. It is through that and that alone that life is sustained. You eat food and God uses that food. And by the way, you don't make that food work for you. God does. God makes that food. I can't comprehend how breathing in air goes into my lungs and is transferred into blood, some kind of oxygen in my bloodstream and then goes, that's a miracle, folks. And we might be able to explain sometimes how it works, but we can't make it work. And it is God who sustains the physical life, and he does so through his ordained means. And so you sit down today, and you have a meal, and you drink some water, and you have shelter over you, and life happens. Because that's the way God has ordained it. And in the same way, it's in the spiritual realm. God brought you to life when you were born again. Amen? And God is the one that holds you and keeps you. But the sustaining of that life is done through the normal means. Here's the thing. God will sustain life. And you cannot eat good food. And you can be sick. And you cannot get enough water. And you'll be sick. Still got life. But you're not very effective at anything. And if you live out without shelter, you'll not be very effective at very many things. Why? Because you're not having those means in their proper order. And the same way in the spiritual life is that God can give us new life in Christ and he will keep us, but our lives are very anemic. And what are the means? I'm just going to give them to you. The word of God, prayer, and community. Now you can make a list of probably 10 or 15 other things that would be helpful to sustain life. But here's the basics. We need the word of God, we need prayer, and we need community. And you can say, well, I'm not going to read the Bible and you'll be weak. I'm not going to pray and you're going to be weak. I'm not going to spend time in community and you'll be weak and you'll be ineffective. You say, well, pastor, that just seems too simple. Now, I've said to you over and over again, you can read your Bible and not be a healthy Christian, but you cannot be a healthy Christian and not read your Bible. Just like you can eat healthy and not be a healthy person, but you can't be a healthy person and not eat healthy. It is necessary that you use God's ordinary means and you leave the results up to God and let God be God. And we go into those normal means and we open the word of God and we go into prayer and we ask God to do the work that he's going to do. And we walk in community confessing our sins, being vulnerable between brothers and sisters in Christ. And life happens. And victory happens. And God doesn't do it apart from these things. We cannot violate these orders. He has ordained the end and he's ordained the means. And so we walk in these this morning, understanding that we need the word of God, we need prayer, we need community, and only through these things do we have true life. It is where we find the strength to do it. You know, you say, well, Pastor, this seems really simple. Well, I agree, it's very simple. We taught it to kids in kindergarten and Sunday school, didn't we? Read your Bible, pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll... Grow, grow, neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And we would do it. We'd go down and go back up, and we would sing it with the kids, and they got the message to a pastor. That just seems so simple. You know, it is simple. You know why it's simple? Because we're stupid. <laughs> God knows that he needs to keep it simple for us. Amen? He's so good to put it down where we can reach it. And see, the, the, the Colossians were being saying, no, it's way up here. Exalt yourself way up here in knowledge. And he said, no, no, it's way down here. Here's the word of God. Here's prayer. And here's what's interesting. You know what we do when we read the Bible? Think about this. I read the Bible, and when I open the word of God, you know what it tells me about 
It tells me about who he is. It tells me about who you are. It tells me about who I am. And when I go to prayer, guess what I'm doing? I'm talking to God about who he is. I'm talking to God about who I am. And I'm talking to God about who you are. And when we gather in community, you know what we're doing? We're talking to one another about who we are and about who he is. And what are we doing? We're renewing our mind in knowledge, being reminded of who God is, who we are, and who others are, and what our role in those relationships are. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the sufficiency 